Well, good morning, everyone, and uh, good morning to everyone online as well. It's great to be uh, with you here worshiping God. Um, so our church, uh, like many churches across the world, we have had our life together and our sense of community be disrupted, and we've been pretty disconnected for the better part of two years now. But as we have begun to gather again and with restrictions lifting more and more, what a great time for all of us to be reminded of what the scriptures teach us about our relationships to each other and our responsibilities towards one another. And that's why we're in our current sermon series called As Jesus Loved. And in this series, we've been looking specifically at the one another passages in Scripture. So two weeks ago, we looked at Jesus' command that we are to love one another. As Jesus loved us, so we must love one another. And last week, we looked at Romans 12.10, which says that we as a church are to be devoted to one another and that we are to honor one another above ourselves. And today we're looking at the command that we are to serve one another, that we are to serve one another humbly in love. Now our text for this morning is found in Galatians, which is a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote, but before we read it, I'd love to just take a moment uh, to pray for our time together. So would you join me in prayer? Father God, we thank you for uh, the gift of Scripture, for the gift of your words spoken throughout history to your people. And uh, as I, I pray that as we go into your words, that you would awaken and ignite in us all a love for your words and a love for Scripture and a love for your Son, Jesus Christ. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So our text for this morning is Galatians chapter 5, verse 13. And the Apostle Paul writes, You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. But do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. So we begin this morning with Paul's declaration, you, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. And just a little earlier in chapter 5, Paul also writes, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. So this idea of being set free and the concept of freedom is an important theme, not only in the letter to the Galatians, but freedom is a central theme of what it means to be a Christian. Now, I know that for us living in Canada, in this present time, when we hear the word freedom, what comes to mind for many of us is the Freedom Convoy and the protests happening in Ottawa and across our country. And this has made international news for weeks now, and it has even sparked similar protests across the world. Now, please understand that today I'm not wanting to make any statement either for or against the protests. And the only point I want to make is that when we read the Bible, 
we all read it from our own biased perspective. So we have our own worldview and lens from which we make sense of things. So based on what culture we come from, the time period we live in, our education, our race, gender, ethnicity, our upbringing, and our personal experiences, all these things affect how we read and understand scripture. So knowing that we all have these personal biases that affect us, how then do we read and understand scripture? Well, one of the things that we should always be doing is to ask this question. What was the original author trying to communicate to the original audience? What was the original author trying to communicate to the original audience? So the original author for Galatians was the Apostle Paul, and the original audience was a group of Christians in the Roman region called Galatia. So the question that we want to ask is, what was the Apostle Paul trying to say to these Galatian Christians? What did Paul mean by freedom? What did Paul mean when he said, you are called to be free? Now, in order to understand Paul's concept of freedom, we need to take a step back and try to understand the specific situation that caused Paul to write the letter to the Galatians in the first place. And the first important point that we need to make is that Christianity did not just appear out of nowhere. The Christian faith is deeply rooted in the history and story of the Jewish people and the nation of Israel. Jesus was born to Jewish parents, and most of his early followers were Jewish as well. But the teachings of Jesus and what he accomplished wasn't just meant for the Jewish people. The good news of Jesus, his love and mercy, forgiveness of sins, our relationship with God restored. The good news of Jesus was and is a message for all humanity, for all people, and for all nations. So Jesus' disciples, uh, first disciples, they began to go out, and they shared the good news about Jesus everywhere they went. They were fulfilling the Great Commission, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. So pretty quickly, you had many non-Jewish people. The Bible calls them Gentiles. You had many Gentiles coming to faith in Jesus. And the Bible records that pretty early on, there was some serious conflict and tension within the early church. And the reason for the conflict is because here you had this new Jesus movement that was starting, and it first started with Jewish people. But now a whole bunch of Gentiles and non-Jews were joining in. So the early church began to argue and debate over a very important question. They were asking, should Gentiles who have come to follow Jesus... Do they now have to follow the rules, laws, and customs of Jewish people? Or to put the question more simply, do Gentiles need to become Jews in order to follow Jesus? You see, the Jewish people had hundreds of laws that governed almost every aspect of their life. 
These laws were first received by Moses and then passed down throughout the generations. So the Jewish people had laws about the worship of God. We could uh, go to the slide. So the Jewish people had laws about the worship of God, how to relate to their fellow Jews, how to relate with people who are not Jewish, observing special days and festivals such as the Sabbath, maintaining Jewish identity symbols like circumcision. They had laws about marriage, divorce, and family relationships, dietary laws on what they could and could not eat. They had laws about business practices, property rights, ties and taxes, crimes and punishments. And of course, because they couldn't keep all these laws, there were more laws regarding sacrifices and offerings that needed to be made as a result of their sins. So again, the conflict in question was this. Do Gentiles have to live like Jews, and do they have to follow all these Jewish laws in order to follow Jesus? Now, the book of Acts shows us how the early church dealt with this question. And if you want, you can read Acts chapter 15 to read that story, but I'll just quickly recap it here. So in Acts 15, the apostle Paul and his fellow missionary Barnabas they're currently in a city called Antioch. And then it says that some new teachers come to the city, and they begin teaching that Gentiles had to be circumcised according to the Jewish laws in order to be saved. The apostle Paul and Barnabas do not agree, and they dispute and they argue with them. And in order to solve this problem, they all decide that Paul... Barnabas and a few other believers should travel to Jerusalem to see what the other church leaders had to say about this. So they all go to Jerusalem. There's a lot of discussion uh, that takes place, and then ultimately it's decided that no, Gentiles do not have to be circumcised, and they do not have to follow Jewish laws to be saved because both Jews and Gentiles are saved by grace through faith in Jesus, not through obedience to the law. Now, this is the same question and problem occurring within the Galatian churches. In one of his earlier missionary journeys, Paul had taught the Galatians about being saved by grace through faith. But after Paul had left Galatia, some new teachers came, and, and they started teaching that, G, that faith in Jesus wasn't enough, that they still had to follow all the Jewish laws and customs in order to be fully accepted by God. So when Paul hears what the new teachers are teaching, and worse still, when he hears that the Galatians are actually starting to believe these things, Paul is filled with anger, frustration, and concern for these Christians. So that is the context that causes Paul to write his letter to the Galatians. And now that we know the context, we can go back to our original question, which is to ask, what did Paul mean by freedom? So the freedom that Paul is talking about is this. As Christians, the Galatians were set free from the Jewish system of laws that kept a person in right relationship to God. 
Let me repeat that. Paul was saying that the Galatians were set free from the Jewish system of laws that kept a person in right relationship to God. They didn't need to keep and follow the hundreds of laws passed down from Moses, and they didn't need to be circumcised or observe special days, and they no longer had to make any sacrifices or offerings for their sin. You see, throughout the New Testament, we are told that the Jewish system of laws was never meant to be the ultimate answer to the foundational problems we face as human beings. And these foundational problems are described in the book of Genesis. So Genesis tells us that the first human beings, Adam and Eve, they were wonderfully and lovingly created by God. And God gave them life, purpose, and calling, and they lived their lives enjoying God's presence in all of his creation. And God blessed them by planting a garden, the Garden of Eden, in which there was abundant food to eat. But there was one tree that Adam and Eve were not supposed to eat from, and that was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. God had warned them that to eat from this tree would result in death. But the enemy of God, Satan, deceives them. Adam and Eve sin by eating from the tree, which causes death to enter our world. So in this story, we learn about the three fundamental problems that we face as humans. There's the problem of Satan, sin, and death. And the Jewish system of laws and sacrifices never fully dealt with these problems. Paul says that the law was like a guardian or a tutor that taught us God's ways for a time. There were temporary provisions, but now that Jesus has come, we are no longer under the law, but are now in Christ. And when Jesus took the sins of humanity upon himself, when he gave up his life as an offering for sin, and when he rose from the dead, Jesus conquered Satan's sin and death. Now, to be clear, the the kingdom of God has not yet fully come. We are not yet in the new heavens and the new earth. Satan is still at work in the world. There is still sin. There is still death. But Let's not forget what Jesus said on the cross. Jesus said, it is finished. The crucial battle has been won, and in Christ, we will experience ultimate victory over Satan, sin, and death. So let's take a look at uh, Hebrews chapter 10, because... Really, there is no better passage to describe the difference between the law versus what we have in Christ. So Hebrews chapter 10, verses 1 to 4 says, The law is only a shadow of the good things that are coming, not the realities themselves. For this reason, it can never, by the same sacrifices repeated endlessly year after year, make perfect those who draw near to worship. Otherwise, would they not have stopped being offered? For the worshipers would have been cleansed once for all 
and would no longer have felt guilty for their sins. But those sacrifices are an annual reminder of sins. It is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties. Again and again, he offers the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But when this priest had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, and since that time he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool. For by one sacrifice he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. The Holy Spirit also testifies to us about this. First he says, this is a new covenant, or this is a covenant I will make with them after that time, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their hearts, and I will write them on their minds. Then he adds, their sins and lawless acts I will remember no more. So let me just quickly recap what we just read. So Hebrews tells us that the law was just a shadow of the good things to come. The law and sacrifices were a reminder of our sins. It is impossible for the blood of animals to take away the sins of humans. Jesus offered up himself as one sacrifice for all sins for all time. Jesus has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. And finally, the new covenant, the new promise that God makes to us is this, that he will put his laws in our hearts and he will write them upon our minds. This is a transformational change that occurs when we put our faith in Jesus. Instead of God's laws and commands being on tablets of stone or being written on paper, Instead of God's laws being outside of us, God will put his laws into our hearts and write them upon our minds. And this change is made possible because of the gift of the Holy Spirit, which Jesus talks a lot about to his disciples. And the Holy Spirit is central to the last two statements we will look at this morning. So after declaring that we are called to be free, Paul says, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. So freedom is great, and being set free from a system of laws and commands is, is good news. However, it does present some different challenges. So just imagine if you were a Jewish person, you come to faith in Jesus, and now all of a sudden Paul says that you are free from the law. You are free from the hundreds of laws that used to govern and guide your life. Or let's say that you were a Gentile and you had another religion and a different way of life, but then you come to faith in Jesus and you are set free from your old life. All of a sudden, the question becomes, okay, so I'm a Christian now. How should I live? What am I 
supposed to do with my life? And I don't know about you, but I've asked those questions throughout my journey of faith. You can sort of see why the Galatian Christians found it tempting to return to the Jewish laws. There's something comforting in having a set list of laws to guide your life, isn't there? But this is not the new way of life that we have in Christ. We don't have a list of hundreds of laws that we have to follow as Christians. So what is the Christian life about? How are we to live our lives? Jesus says in John chapter 14, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. We are to live our lives led and guided by the Holy Spirit. We no longer look outside of ourselves for a list of laws and commands to guide us. Instead, we are set free to live our lives from the inside out, guided by the Holy Spirit who dwells within us. So going back to our scripture for this morning, Paul says, do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. So what does indulging the flesh mean? Well, Paul explains a couple verses later. He says, the acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. To indulge the flesh is basically to do whatever you feel like, whenever you feel like it. And Paul is saying, yes, you have freedom now, but that doesn't mean that you should just indulge your flesh. It doesn't mean that you can just do whatever you want. Rather, in our freedom, Paul says that we are to serve one another humbly in love. And the reason that we are to serve one another is because Jesus served us humbly in love. Look at what Paul writes in Philippians chapter 2. Paul says, In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. In our relationships with one another, we are told to have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Jesus took on the nature of a servant, and he humbly served us by taking our sins upon himself and becoming obedient to death on a cross. Jesus, in talking about himself, he says, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, 
and to give his life as a ransom for many. So in our relationships with one another, we should have the same humble servant mindset as Jesus. Now, how do we do this? Because if we're being honest, being a humble servant and serving others, it it doesn't really come naturally. It's not what we think of when we get up in the morning. So how do we become these people who can serve others humbly like Jesus did? And the key for us, again, is the Holy Spirit. And I just want to highlight two ideas uh, which I got from uh, John Stott's commentary on Galatians. So Paul gives us two ideas in Galatians. He says that one, we are to be led by the Spirit, and secondly, we are to walk by the Spirit. Now, the first idea, idea of being led by the Spirit, it's a passive expression. But the second idea that we are to walk by the Spirit requires our active participation. The Holy Spirit is the one who does the leading, but we still need to play our part in doing the walking. So first, what does it mean to be led by the Spirit? And John Stott explains it this way. He says, as our leader, the Holy Spirit takes the initiative. He asserts his desires against those of the flesh and forms within us holy and heavenly desires. He puts this gentle pressure upon us, and we must yield to his direction and control. To be led by the Spirit means that we give up ultimate control over our lives. We are no longer the master of our own lives. Instead, we are to pray and to ask and to seek to be led by the Spirit of God because the Holy Spirit is our helper, our counselor, and he is our guide. And one of the things that has helped me in my journey of seeking to be led by the Spirit is the idea of sailing. So last year I was listening to a sermon uh, by a pastor and he was talking about how difficult his first few years in ministry were. And he said that it just felt like he was striving and striving and the image that he had was It felt like he was in a boat, just rowing as hard as he could to try to lead his church. After some years of of living that way, he went to a conference, and at this conference, he had a powerful encounter with the Holy Spirit. And he said, it felt like the Holy Spirit hit him physically. And then literally for hours upon hours, he was on the ground, weeping, unable to move, as the Spirit's power and love brought healing into his life. And after this encounter, it changed everything for him. He said, it was like God told him, no more rowing. It's about sailing now. It's about letting the wind of the Spirit blow and lead 
It's about letting God lead and guide you and your church. And so after that, instead of him and his church leaders deciding what they should do, he and the church leadership began to pray and to wait and to look to see where is the Spirit of God leading? Where is the wind of the Spirit blowing and leading them? And in our personal lives, I think it should be the same way. It's not about us deciding what we want to do and what, where we should go, but we should be praying and waiting and looking to see where is God leading me? Where is the wind of his spirit blowing and leading? And I know this isn't an easy thing to do. It's difficult to make this change, to give up control over our lives. But this is what it means to be a Christian. When we get baptized, and when we go under the water in baptism, that represents that we are dead and buried with Christ. And then when we come up out of the water, it symbolizes that we are raised to new life in him. And in this new life, Jesus fills us and gives us the gift of the Holy Spirit so that we can be led and guided by him. The second idea that Paul talks about, and I close with this, Paul first says we are to be led by the Spirit, and then the second idea is that we are to walk by the Spirit. Walking by the Spirit means our active participation in what the Spirit is leading us to do. And whenever the Spirit of God leads us to do something, it always requires some faith courage on our part. We see this over and over again in the Bible. The Holy Spirit leads, God calls people to action, but they are afraid. And that's why God tells his people again and again, do not fear, do not be afraid. Fear, anxiety, and worry can hold us back from walking out what the Spirit is leading us to do. But God says to us again and again, do not be afraid. And Jesus makes this promise to us. He says, I am with you always to the end of the age. And so in that confidence, let us be people who are led by the Spirit and who walk by the Spirit. So as we close this morning, I want to ask, how has the Holy Spirit been leading you? Has he been speaking to you today or this week or the last few months? Has he been putting certain people on your mind? Maybe someone that you need to reconcile with or, or maybe someone to share your faith with. 
Is the Holy Spirit leading and guiding you to make a change in your life? Maybe he's calling you to turn from certain things or to give up something you're holding on to that's not of him. Or maybe as we've talked about this command that we are to serve one another, is the Holy Spirit stirring in you a desire to serve those around you or to serve our church community in some way? You know, with all the disruption that COVID has caused, there are lots of needs currently in our church. Our amazing staff team and our current volunteers, they could use your help. We've got the nursery, we've got Kingdom Kids, youth and young adult ministries, worship, media, and sound teams. There's the welcome and the hospitality teams. There's so many opportunities for us to serve one another humbly in love. And so, if the Spirit of God is leading you, then take a step of faith, walk by the Spirit, and maybe you might want to go talk to a staff member, or you can go to the church website and see what areas you could be involved in. So, as Jesus served and loved us, let us serve one another humbly in love.